So this is kind of par for the course for Pastor Tim and I. The first funeral I ever preached was because he was sick. The first baptism I ever performed was because he was sick. The first Easter message I get to preach is because he's sick. So he can tell you he's sick, but I know it's just his way of training me. And Ron can tell you that he forgot his cell phone, but we know that that's his part in this charade as well. The good news is, is that this is Easter. What pastor can't preach a message about the risen Savior? So my hope this morning is that uh, when we leave here this morning, we won't focus on Chad preached, we won't focus on Tim's sick, we will focus on Christ and what he has done for us and what the empty grave means for us. So let's pray as, as I begin to expound on God's word this morning. Father, that truly is our heart's desire, that we would feast on your word here this morning. Lord, it's not the messenger, but the message of the gospel that matters. Father, as we have exalted your name in praise through singing, may we continue to exalt your name as we go to the word together. And may you teach us, may you guide us, and may you direct us into all truth and understanding of your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So in our youth ministry, we've been spending a lot of time looking at different instances of contrast in Scripture and how Scripture often uses contrast to help us to understand the concepts uh, that were being taught. And so this morning... We're simply going to study together uh, some of the contrasts that I have seen in Scripture that I myself have been dwelling on and meditating on as the Easter season uh, has approached. And in my own quiet times with the Lord, things that I have been looking at. Uh, and, and so I'm simply going to share some of those with us this morning. Because I did find out last night that I was, was preaching, I'm sure that my segues and my transitions uh, may not be as smooth as I would normally hope, but my, my prayer is that we'll look beyond those things and focus on the message of the risen Savior uh, instead. So, when we think of Easter, it is amazing to me in our culture that we are beginning to lose sight of the purpose and meaning and significance of Resurrection Sunday. You know, it's unfortunate that as Christians we've allowed the world to take Christmas. But as I look around us, we're beginning to allow them to have Easter as well. We're beginning to allow Easter reflect Something more along the lines of Meester, where it's about commercialism and it's about the family gatherings and it's about eggs and bunnies and chocolates and candy. And my hope this morning is that, not that anything that I've mentioned are wrong, we bought our kids candy, we're going to have a nice family dinner with our extended family, but my hope this morning is that every single one of us We'll walk away from here focusing a little more on the resurrection of Christ and that that 
will influence the way that we speak to one another, that, that that will influence the way that we talk to our unsaved friends and loved ones around us, and that we will be a little bit more prepared to reflect the light of Christ and to reflect all that the resurrection means to us as Christians in our world. And so my hope is that by looking at some of these contrasts that we'll see in Scripture, that, that, that we will see that, that our hope as God's children, is the empty grave. Our hope as believers in Christ is that through what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us on, on, on Good Friday, that we can celebrate on Easter morning. Open your Bibles with me this morning to a familiar Easter passage found in Matthew chapter 28. If you are visiting with us this morning or didn't bring your Bible with you, uh, you can simply listen, or there are Bibles in the pew racks in the chairs in front of you. You see, while we'll be focusing on just a few parts of these verses and looking at the contrasts that we see in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read the first eight verses of this account for us together. It's where it says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. And then, then we see some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Our first point this morning is the first of many contrasts that I hope to illuminate for us as we're examining this passage of Scripture together this morning. The guards were afraid, but the women didn't need to be these brave Roman soldiers demonstrated their humanity. And perhaps they were even able to see that there was something supernatural going on in the face of this great earthquake, in the face of this angel, and in the face of this empty tomb. You see, the guards had great reason to be afraid. They weren't afraid for no reason at all. They had good reason to be afraid. You see, this was not the first earthquake associated with the death of Christ. This was not the first time that God the Father shook the earth regarding the death and resurrection of his son. Just one chapter earlier, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, we read these words. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. 
Christ's death on the cross was so significant that the earth itself shook at his death. When the veil, the curtain that separated us from God the Father because of our sinfulness and his perfect holiness, when, when God ripped that veil because of the death of Christ and allowed us access in to him, there was a great earthquake. And now, now at the resurrection of Jesus, the earth would shake again. And while the guards would not have known exactly what was going on, they would have been able to surmise that this was not an ordinary man. And this was not an ordinary death. They had good reason to be afraid. Even the earth itself was bearing testimony to the fact that God's mighty hand was once again at work. One author describes the earthquake this way. He says, The earth, which trembled with sorrow at the death of Christ, as it were, leaped for joy at his resurrection. I love the the beauty of that word picture. It trembled at his death with sorrow. But the earth leaped for joy at the resurrection of our Savior. That would have been great reason for these men to be afraid. But ultimately, we see that their fear came from seeing the angel roll the stone away. And while seeing an angel oftentimes causes fear, this is a very typical response to an angelic being. I don't think it's simply the fact that they saw an angel. I mean, we do see in verse 3 that, that his appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. The presence of this angel also demonstrated that there was something supernatural going on. The presence of this angel demonstrated that God was again doing something of eternal significance. God is at work in this situation, and he was at work in that tomb. And so we we read that the guards, that for fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And as if an earthquake wouldn't be enough to scare you. And as if seeing an angel roll away the stone wouldn't be enough to frighten you. As if that weren't enough. The guards were also afraid because the tomb that they were placed there to guard was empty. The job that they were committed to doing went undone. Back in Matthew chapter 27, in verses 62 through 66, we read these words. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Let his disciples go and steal him, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting 
a guard. Isn't it ironic? They put those guards there so that nobody would be able to steal the the body from the tomb and perpetuate some great fraud and say he was raised from the dead. There is such irony dripping from that that situation and from those actions. John MacArthur points out this irony of the situation when he wrote, even Jesus' enemies helped assure that in order for his resurrection to be genuine, he would have to be supernaturally raised. His enemies made quite certain that there was no way that body was getting out of that tomb unless, unless what Jesus said he would do, he did. We can know for certain that the tomb is empty not because of some fraud, not because of, of, of his disciples stealing the body away or for any other reason because God raised his son from the dead. These men were placed there to ensure that the body would be there. And it wasn't. And there was an earthquake. And there was an angel. And they were terrified. They had good reason to be terrified. These men of courage and valor had every reason to be afraid. But I want to contrast their situation with the meek and mild women who who thought they were going to the grave to to serve Jesus by anointing his body with oils. They thought they were going there in a humble act of, of service. They aren't mighty men of valor. They aren't bold and courageous. And but we see them coming to the tomb, and we see the angel telling them, Do not be afraid. You see, we contrast these women with the men because the women had no reason to be afraid. While these mighty men of valor had every reason to be afraid, the women had no reason to be afraid. And so that should cause us to ask, why? Why did these women have nothing to be afraid of? These women had no reason to fear, not because of their own boldness, but because they knew Jesus. They were there looking for Jesus. The angel says to them, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Like the guards, the women didn't understand all that was going on. They didn't understand every minute detail of Christ's death and resurrection yet. But they knew Jesus. You see, the trajectory of mankind was being changed right before their very eyes. The tomb was empty, and these women could have confidence because of the fact that they knew Jesus. This brings us to the second contrast that I want to explore with us in this passage of Scripture. And it's related to, its first, to the first contrast but it's unique in its own right as well. It's another reason that the women didn't need to be afraid. The second contrast I want us to highlight is that he is not here. He is risen, and you will see him again. In this passage of Scripture, we see these two statements. He is not here. He is risen. 
and you will see him again. And we see this, this beautiful contrast, and I want us to explore how this affects us. As I just said, history was being changed because Jesus had demonstrated that he was God, that he had power over death. He had victory from the grave. The grave could not hold him. All of those songs that we just sang about, Oh, death, where is thy sting? There is no victory in that because Jesus demonstrated he had power over sin and death. Death could not keep him. The grave could not hold him because Jesus was God in the flesh. When he went to the cross and cried, it is finished. All that was needed to accomplish our salvation was done. It was accomplished. It was finished. But Jesus wasn't done. Dying on the cross, although it accomplished everything that was necessary and required for our salvation, he took the penalty for your sin and for mine upon himself. He faced the judgment and wrath of God for us. Those three hours that Pastor Tim talked about where God the Father turned his face away from God the Son that accomplished everything that we needed for our salvation. But the empty tomb is the centerpiece of redemptive history. It's the cornerstone of our faith. The empty tomb is the reason that we can have hope of eternal life. Because we could expect God to be raised from the dead. But scripture tells us that when we have trusted Christ as our Savior, we are one with him and someday when you and I die, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we will not stay in the grave either. If we know Christ is a Savior, the empty grave is the reason that we don't have anything to fear in this world. Jesus' sacrifice to atone, our sin, atone for our sins was accepted by God the Father. And in Him, we can know his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. And so we have every reason to be thankful. And we, as followers of Christ, have every reason to have hope. The empty grave allows us to say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verse 14 and much later in the chapter, verse 57, where it says, If Christ has been raised... If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we should not be here this morning. We are wasting our time if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But praise God, the tomb is empty and he has been raised from the dead. Our faith is not in vain. And we can know for certain that Christ was raised from the dead. And I think that is a hidden beauty of this passage of Scripture this morning. Because the reality is, is that in our human frailty, in our weakness, it's so easy for us to have doubts. It's so easy for us to have questions. And there's so many times where, where you and I say, man, I just wish I... I had some proof. Our human frailty says that we, we just need something to demonstrate to me that this is true. 
And you know, I think it's too often as Christians, we wrongly say, oh, well, you just need to have faith. Don't get me wrong. Ultimately, believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, accepting that I am a sinner and that the death that he died on the cross was for my sin and for yours, and that through faith in him we can have eternal life. Ultimately, that is an act of faith. But God gives us proof as well. God loves us enough to show us that this is true. In the empty grave is proof of God's love for us, and it's proof of the resurrection of his son. In this passage, God gives these women, and ultimately all of humanity, two beautiful reasons that we can know for certain that Jesus was raised from the dead. Have you ever thought about why, why open the empty tomb? Why even bother to do that? You know, it's, it's significant for us. You see, God opened the grave not to let Jesus out, but so the women and all of humanity from that point on would know that that grave is empty. After his resurrection, Jesus was able to walk into prayer meetings without using doors. He is God in the flesh. Do we really think for a moment that he couldn't have just rose from the dead and, and been out of the grave? God didn't open the tomb to let Jesus out. God opened the tomb so that we would know, so that we could be certain that that tomb, that grave, is empty. Jesus didn't need to have the stone rolled away, but God knew that we would need to have that stone rolled away. Frankly, even with that eyewitness testimony, all sorts of theories and frauds still continue to exist. People still continue to have doubts. So that's why ultimately it is an act of faith. Because people for, from the time that Jesus was raised have doubted his resurrection. But God provided that empty grave as a sign of love and proof to us. And the second loving proof that God provides to us here is that the angel told the women that they would see Jesus. Not only was the grave empty, but these women were told, you don't need to be afraid. You came looking for Jesus. The grave is empty and you will see him again because he is risen just as he said. You see, it's important for us to, to really dwell on and think about the fact that, that Jesus had been telling his disciples and anyone who would listen that he was going to be put to death. And that in three days he would rise. And while they didn't fully understand that, he had told them that this is what was going to happen. And our angel bursts onto the scene and says, he is not here. He is risen as he said. And that's why those are some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. Because quite frankly, if Pastor Tim tells me this flu is going to kill me, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again tomorrow. It's a little sketchy. Jesus demonstrated that he is God. He did exactly what he said he would do. When he said he would rise again in three days, he rose again in three days. When he said that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, we can have confidence that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. 
Jesus demonstrated for all of humanity that he is God and that he can do as he pleases. So why? Why? Why do we allow doubts to creep in? Why do we hesitate when we're thinking and talking about Easter? We can have confidence in the empty tomb. He wanted, the angel wanted these women to have confidence. These men aren't playing a trick on you. No one came to take the body. You will see him again. Our third contrast that I want us to look at this morning is one that I hope all of us who know Christ will truly reflect on and take to heart and apply to our own lives this morning. It's the one that I oftentimes, I think, feel the most burdened about. You see, the angel told the women to come and see and go and tell. The angel told the women, come and see the empty tomb, and then go and tell the disciples about it. You see, the immediate response to knowing that the grave is empty should be a desire to go and proclaim it and shout it from the rooftops. We should desire to go and tell others. That should be the immediate response that every single one of us as Christians has. If the words, he is not here, he is risen, as he said, are the most beautiful words in Scripture, why are we so unwilling to go and tell? So, when someone asks us about Easter, do we talk about our Savior? I'm guilty of this. Or do we talk about getting together with our family? Do we talk about the activities that we're going to do? Do we talk about all those other things that ultimately don't matter. I think every single one of us falls into the trap of allowing the world to hijack Easter. We have allowed it to become a second-class holiday instead of a focus on the empty grave. It's important to create memories as families. It's important to celebrate holidays as families. The fellowship that we have is a beautiful gift from God himself. But it is not our primary focus, and it shouldn't be our ultimate heart's desire. The message of Easter is the message of the gospel. The message of Easter is the good news. And it's called good news for a reason. God wants us to come and see. And then he wants us to go and tell. It's supposed to be shared with others. The women came to the grave looking to humbly serve. But they left with a mixture of, of joy and fear. They, they didn't really know all that was going on. But you and I, we're, we have God's infallible word. We know why the grave was empty. We know why Jesus rose from the grave. 
And so more than those women, you and I, if we know Christ as our Savior, should be desiring and willing and wanting to go and tell others. So what about us? Who are some people that we can have an open, healthy dialogue with about the real message and the real meaning of the empty tomb? Instead of seeing Easter as this commercialized holiday, we should see it as an opportunity each and every year for evangelism. You and I, every year, have the opportunity for the empty tomb to be dominating social media, culture, stores, conversation, Easter's everywhere. Why do we continue to let them use that for commercialism instead of using it to talk about the real message, the real meaning, the real significance behind Easter? Who can we talk about that with? And how can we prepare our hearts for it for next year? As we reflect on all of these things and begin to wrap up our thoughts here this morning, I want to remind us that on Good Friday, Pastor Tim told us that there are two great implications to Jesus' death. There are two great implications to Jesus' death. First of all, it reminds us that our sin is horrific. You and I, every single one of us, is a sinner in need of God's grace. In the death of Christ, as the Father turned his face away, should remind us, not only are we sinners, but that our sin is wretched in the eyes of a holy, perfect, and righteous God. Our sin is horrific in the eyes of God, and there is no way around that. But the death of Christ also should remind us that the cost of our salvation was enormous. God sent his son to die on that miserable cross, to suffer in our place. That was the cost of our salvation. But this morning, on Resurrection Sunday, I want to remind us of the two great implications of the empty tomb. There are two great implications that we have to remember this morning about the empty tomb. First, our hope is not in vain. Those women went to that tomb not knowing what to expect. The disciples were scattered and afraid They had no clue what was going to take place. But you and I, we can know for certain that the tomb is empty. Our hope is not in vain. Their hope was not in vain because the tomb is empty. And Jesus proclaimed victory over sin and death. And the second implication of that empty tomb that I want us to remember as we walk out today is that we must share that hope with others. What good is an empty grave if it's just for me? That would be the most selfish thing in all of humanity. In fact, I'm sometimes 
bothered by the fact. When sometimes people when are sharing their testimony, they'll say, even if it was just for me, Jesus would have died. I'm sure you're pretty amazing. I alone am not worth Jesus' life. Jesus died so that whosoever believes in him should not perish. He died so that the world could know of his salvation. And I, I can't hoard the, the good news of the empty tomb all to myself. That is completely selfish. We must share that hope with others. He is risen. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen we need to be people who will proclaim that and shout it from the rooftops. The grave is empty. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, may the empty tomb be a reminder for us that your great sacrifice of your son for our salvation was acceptable in your sight. That the debt that was necessary was paid in full by him on our behalf. And oh, Father, may those who know Christ be ready, willing, and able to proclaim the good news of the empty grave to all who would listen so that whosoever would hear that good news and put their faith and hope in Christ for their salvation can be born again, be a child of God, and to spend eternity with you. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the confidence that we can have, not only because we know who you are, but you've given us a reason for hope. You've demonstrated the truthfulness of your claim to be God. Father, may we be willing to tell all what you have done for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.